All right. Well, well, here we are. Here we are at the end of Colossians. I mean, it's been a great series so far. Amen? Amen? Well, it could have been a little bit stronger. It was a great series so far. Amen? Amen. Amen. Yeah, great. So do you feel built to last now? Maybe. Maybe not. I mean, we know this from Scripture. Uh, God tells us we've got a, he's got a lot more work to do in us and through us. I mean, he's not going to be finished with us until we see him in glory. So let's have some fun with this uh, uh, today. Um, in All Summer Long, my sermon series, uh, the title of it, comes from Colossians 2, 6 and 7. And you probably already know this. It was translated poorly, right? You know this. All you Koine Greek grammarians, you know this. Uh, I actually started with a gram- grammatically correct uh, Greek present participle tense for the title, being built, being built to last. Now, the staff, they didn't really help me on this. They said, oh, that's just too clunky. That's too clunky. You got to do this just built to last. So uh, and that's the way it came out. I'll take responsibility for the, the, the mistranslation uh, in a kind of throw the staff under the bus kind of a way. So where are those Koine purist translators when you need one? All right, so thanks for putting up with that bad translation all summer. Uh, recently, I discovered a quote from my favorite new theologian and philosopher. Her name is Reith Witherspoon. Okay? Uh, Reith only does acting on the side when she can squeeze it in between her theological lecture tours. So now I know, I know what you're thinking. The first question on your mind, I know, I know what it is. I know what the answer is to it. And yes, Reith and I are on a first-name basis, so I can call her that, Okay? Uh, anyway, the Brainy Quote that uh, Brainy Quote website says this, kind of quotes Reese Witherspoon here. She says, I'm losing friendships over forgetting to get back to people. But you can't keep up with everything. I've got a 13-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a baby. Now, I'm not making fun of Reese. She makes a good point. I mean, seriously, forgetting things is hurtful, especially to relationships. I mean, Pastor Steve just encouraged us to make sure we remember the names of the people that we meet. Have you ever forgot maybe the birthday of someone close to you? Ouch. Have you ever forgot your, spout, your uh, wedding anniversary? Spouse go, ooh, that hurts. Have you ever forgotten some good advice? Sure, I'm sure we have. Well, here's some good advice you don't want to forget. And you could be one getting this advice or giving this advice. Uh, Here it is. Good advice. Good advice before something gets started. Uh, Here are some parents. Parents talking to their teenagers, handing them the the keys to the car for their very first solo drive. The advice, eyes on the road, hands on the wheel. Good advice. Uh, Coaches talking to their football teams before they take the field for the first time. Remember, team, an undefeated season starts with a win today. That's so profound, okay? Maybe for a football player, all right? Uh, Or professors instructing their students for the the semester. They might say something like, remember, midterm exam, Monday, October 21st. It's comprehensive, so spend your whole weekend studying. Yeah, right. We'll do that. So that can be helpful. It, It can be helpful. But people give and get advice at the end of things too, right? Like at the end of a relationship. 
Maybe someone has, has helped you with some parting lines like this. No, really, you deserve better than me. Seriously, it's not you, it's me, okay? I'm not sure how helpful those parting words were if you ever received them, but parting instruction, advice can be helpful. Uh, maybe parents giving their children advice as they move off to college. They might say, remember, find a good church. And if you are here, looking for a good church, call mom and dad and say, mission accomplished, okay, we got it done. Uh, or what about a mentor who's advising their friend? Uh, they're making a major career move, career move. They might say something like, remember, it's not all about the money. Are you really going to love what you're going to be doing? So we can all nod our heads and say, yeah, that's good. That's helpful parting advice. But here's the deal. Advice is not what we get from the Bible. I have a couple pithy quotes from C.S. Lewis today, and, and here's his first one. C.S. Lewis says this, If Christianity only means getting one more bit of good advice, then Christianity is of no importance. There's been no lack of good advice for the last 4,000 years. A bit more makes no difference. Lewis kind of tells it like it is. So let me read the first part of Colossians 4. If you have your Bibles, you can open up there now. Uh, as you follow on, recognize that this is not advice. This is life-changing instructions. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Uh, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak, a walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So as Paul finishes up his letter to the Colossians here, he first gives some instruction, and it kind of falls under the category of, let's remember. Let's remember to talk. Let's remember to pray. Paul's not saying, you know, call me to talk. He's saying, call God. That's verse 2. And then in verse 3, he's saying, call God. Ask God for help for me. In looking at verses 2 through 4, this is instruction to unwavering intentionality rather than just kind of some sporadic inspiration to pray. Uh, what Paul is not saying here, he's not saying regularly practice the spiritual discipline of prayer. Make sure you don't ignore that good habit. He's not saying get good at praying. He's also not saying, make sure you tell God all about your personal wishes. Make sure God hears and responds to your desires. Neither of those get at the heart of what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Prayer at its heart is not just a spiritual exercise, nor is it primarily a divine gift registry. This is instruction to totally devote yourself to God through a life of prayer. 
pray as a way of life. Now, this is to embrace prayer as an expression of, of loving worship towards God with whom you have a personal and eternally reconciled relationship. Now, this is a call to total devotion of oneself to God in the life of prayer. Not so much out of a sense of a rigid practice, but again, being devoted to God through prayerful presence. And Paul knows, we know, that prayer is not simply an act of presenting one's personal wishes and desires for comfort to God. C.S. Lewis is a little more direct here in the way he says it. He says it's, it's quite useless knocking on the door of heaven for earthly comfort. It's just not the sort of comfort they supply there. Now, he's not being insensitive. He just knows that the kingdom of God is where Jesus is sovereign. It's not primarily about us. And prayer, just as in the Lord's Prayer, is a way for believers to courageously participate with their heavenly Father. Heavenly Father's kingdom come. Heavenly Father's will be done. Prayer is essentially a way of life in our God's unfolding plan for redemption. Redemption and relationship. That's what we've got here in verse 2. Now verses 3 and 4 are about interceding with God in behalf of Paul or really any other believers, uh, their impact on a lost world, especially if it has to do with or probably would result in more of persecution in that believer's life. Helen Keller, who lost her sight and hearing as a child, she captured the mood of this kind of prayer. She's quoted as having said, it's for us to pray not for tasks equal to our power, but for powers equal to our task. Paul's asking for the Colossian believers to pray for power for him from God to accomplish the task that was given to him by God to begin with. Uh, they're to intercede for Paul's strength, his wisdom, his discernment to walk through a door of opportunity provided by God. Paul's asking God through others for another opportunity to engage, to walk through a, another door, whether it leads into prison again somewhere else or out of the prison he is currently in. Paul's just asking the Colossians to intercede for, them, for him the way he's been interceding for them for quite a while. Remember at the beginning of this letter, Colossians 1.9, uh, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now he's not saying, because I pray for you, out of obligation now, you should pray for me. That's not what he's saying. He's just saying, Let's remember. Let's do this together. Let's do this for each other. It's an invitation to partner in courageous prayer with and for each other. Now, the tone of this prayer reminds me of the prayer of the disciples in Acts 4. Remember there, Peter and John had just been released from prison, and the unified prayer of these recollected believers was this. Acts 4, 29 and 30, they prayed. And now, Lord, look upon their, meaning the Pharisees, 
spiritual leaders. Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That's the tone of this prayer. Not earthly comfort, but boldness to ask for courage and the boldness to ask for miracles. Now, I'm going to say something that is not as uh, explicit in this passage. It's more implied. And that's this. Prayer needs to be with others. Prayer needs to be with others. Maybe more than we appreciate in our individualistic American culture. The context of this passage is kind of zoomed back out to the whole church. Now, no longer are we speaking to wives or husbands or children or masters or, or bond servants being singled out for instruction as, as Pastor Steve so excellently preached last week. It's kind of zoomed back out to the whole congregation. And the first and the abiding context to prayer in this letter to the Colossians is that Paul and those who are with him in Rome, they pray together. In chapter 1, we, we read, verse 8, we always, give, give, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And then in verse 9, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. I think the case can be made for this Roman prison prayer team. And it's modeling for us doing prayer together. And maybe we should be a prayer team too. It's the, I think the case can be made for that. And it's the same with the leadership of this church. Uh, you probably know this. Our, prayer, our, our staff team prays together uh, several times during the week. The leadership council prays together every time they meet. Uh, the shepherding team prays together. The stewardship team prays together. Our search team prays together. Uh, we need to do more, but... We also had a, a vision input earlier this summer, gathering all those teams together. And one of the things we did is that we prayed together. How about you? Do you pray with others? Now, I'm not trying to twist, twist any arms here. I mean, I get it. Life is full. Uh, there are enough people trying to force us to do other stuff that maybe you don't feel like you have time for corporate prayer. I understand that. Uh, here's a question. Anybody here have an Alexa or an Echo device in a home? Yeah, 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 we do. It's, it's, great. it's a great little uh, surveillance tool used by marketing companies and NSA. <laughs> and for as small as those little devices are, they have great sound. Uh, and that sound carries. Uh, Kim and I, uh, at our home, we have one of those devices and, uh, at our home in Stevens Point. And when Kim joins me to do work in the yard... She puts Alexa on the back porch, and she cranks it up, okay? So when Kim listens to Pandora's instrumental praise station, our neighbors listen to Pandora's instrumental praise station. They have no choice. But I love that about her. And I already have an apology to share to any of our neighbors if they would ever complain. I'd say something like, I'm, just, I'm so sorry uh, that our worship music was too loud. We are so grateful that God, for God through Christ, that he saved us. We just got carried away in our worship. 
How about we invite you over for a steak dinner and make up for our insensitivity? I just say, keep the gospel a secret for dessert, okay? Make it a surprise. Likewise, I don't want us to be urging uh, you guys to corporate prayer to come across like, as your interim pastor, I'm trying to force you to do anything or try to sneak something in. That's not what I'm doing. But honestly, if there is a season in the life of this church that praying together is important, then maybe embracing TCBC's next vision, seeking your new lead pastor, maybe that serves as a good reason for us to pray together as a church. Maybe. Now, verses 5 and 6. The instructions continue, and it involves relating to and talking to, uh, but not to God in prayer. Rather, these verses are about interacting with those who are outside the family of God. Verses 2 and th- two through 4 were instructions for us to, let's remember to pray. Let's remember to pray as a way of life. Verses 5 and 6 encourage us, let's remember to live. Let's remember to live the life, the gospel life as a way of life. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I think in song lyrics, okay? When I read verse 5, a John Mayer song came to my mind. Anybody ever listen to John Mayer? A few of you? You know the song, My Stupid Mouth? Some of you? Yeah? Okay. Uh, that song starts off kind of recounting a, a conversation where John forgot something and he misspoke and there were some hurtful consequences. And the lyrics of the song go like this. Because, oh, it's another social casualty. Score one more for me. How could I forget? Mama said, think before speaking. No filter in my head. What's a boy to do? I guess he better find one soon. Yep. I mean, Jesus and Paul, too, they would caution us about not having a stupid mouth, okay? But they would fault John Mayer on his solution. They would use some of John's own lyrics and correct him to say, eh, thanks for playing, try again. Because it takes way more than a filter in your head uh, to live and speak the gospel. A filter in your head is insufficient. Do you remember Jesus' rebuke of the Pharisees in Matthew 12, where Jesus says, you brood of vipers. No filter there. How can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There Jesus is saying that the cure from the human condition must be a transformed heart, not a filtered head. Paul says the same things in Colossians 1.13, but he uses different words. The spiritual wisdom of Colossians uh, 1, 9 and 10 is ours through being delivered from the domain of darkness, being transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son through redemption, through the forgiveness of sins. Or more succinctly, in Romans 12, 2, Paul says, we must have a renewed mind, not a filtered head. So it takes deeds and words, congruent deeds and words, words that must align for a, a clear and proper expression in um, our deeds in the gospel life. You see, we can't speak one way and live another. Our words and deeds, got to ma- they must match each other. They must both consistently reflect the lordship of Christ. 
This echoes and applies Colossians 3.17, which is how believers interact with each other, uh, which says, and whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God, to God the Father through him. Now, this is applied, Christ's lordship is applied to our interaction with non-believers as well. Because Christ is Lord of us and non-believers too, even if they don't recognize it yet. Our witness to the non-believing community of living with Christ as our Lord in word and deed is a powerful testimony, not of good advice, but of the gospel life. That is making the most of or the best use of our time, the time that we have till Christ returns. That means maybe this fall, when you hear some uh, opportunities for ministry like adopt a student, uh, that you get involved in that. Or maybe you invite your coworker to be a part of TCBC's adventure race. Or maybe you start a small group in your home and you invite your neighbor. There are a lot of ways to do this. So verses 2 through 6, it kind of wraps up the section of this letter that started way back in Colossians 3. Verse 6 of chapter 4 is the last formal instruction to us. The remaining verses here, 7 through 18, uh, it's a farewell greeting. It's a salutation, but with a purpose. This farewell falls under the heading, let's remember. Let's remember to partner. Partnering strengthens your life. Allow me just to read the next few verses of Colossians. Uh, verse 7. Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place. And for the sake of time, I will let you read the remainder of these verses in this letter. But in them, you're going to see that Paul goes on to describe and commend men and women who are integral to partnering with him and the believers in Colossae. In this last part of his letter, Paul expresses gratitude for how men and women of different ages and ethnicities and responsibilities and abilities, how they've all been working together for the gospel. Paul's not just saying, goodbye, osmosis amoebas. He is affirming those God has called to partner with him in the gospel. He calls them fellow workers of the kingdom of God. Then he lays the groundwork for their upcoming ministry that's going to be happening among the Colossian and the Laodicean uh, churches, just a few miles away. In these last verses, Paul doesn't just introduce his partners and say, hey, these are my peeps. No, he goes on to describe them, and he says, welcome them, listen to them, pray with them, serve alongside of them. If Paul were from Texas, he'd say, get her done with them. So let me bring this a little closer to home than Christians who you don't know, who lived 2,000 years ago, even though they're divinely immortalized here in Scripture. Uh, and I could pick anybody on these teams, whether it's leadership council or shepherding team or 
stewardship team or staff or anyone in the over dozen ministries that the ministry teams and action teams under uh, missions and outreach and students, uh, youth and children's and campus ministries. I mean, every one of the people who are serving there have a valuable testimony of ministry well beyond my knowledge of what they do. But the ones I'm going to mention now, um, I've been around them a lot. I've been around them to know that if, that if I were in jail like Paul, I could count on them. I mean, not to be in jail with me. I mean, they're not crazy, okay? But they have to draw a line somewhere. But you can, I can count on these people and others in time of need. So let me just mention a few, starting with leadership council. First, there's Jason Mock. He's got a calm demeanor, as well as considerable abilities to look at a very complex situation and make it simple, make some sense out of it. Uh, there is uh, this, this gentle and peaceable spirit about him that accompanies a deep analytical mind. He's selfless and deferential. He has a logical compass that keeps leadership counsel from getting lost in deep weeds. And there's Lynn Kincaid. She brings her relational wisdom with Christ everywhere she goes. She brings that grace-filled relationship, especially to her teaching and to her decision-making. We've seen her do it in the Making Peace class. I've seen her do it amongst leadership council. She has an insightful way of kind of connecting the dots for us that makes so much sense. And there's John Rockman. I mean, he is so affable, but it goes deeper than that. He's an astounding relationship builder. He genuinely cares about people, and he does it so readily and so fluidly. His relational questions, his thoughtful responses enable him to connect well with anybody. So when you hear those kinds of things said about any of our LC, our leadership council, what does that do for you? Maybe, like the recipients of Paul's letter. It could cause you to go, wow, they are even more valuable to the leadership and the future of this church than I realized. Maybe I should listen to them closely. Maybe I should readily partner with them in what they say we could do. Maybe. And partnering with the shepherding team, there are people gifted there. Uh, there's Scott Stevens. Uh, he is faithful and thorough and has a huge shepherd's heart. Uh, there have been times when dealing with difficult relational dynamics in reconciliation process where people have wearied. Uh, they have wandered, and he just will not let them self-destruct. He'll call you to truth. Uh, he does it with such patience and grace. His hand is always out to pull you up. And what about Ruth Crabiel? What a profusely compassionate and merciful spirit. I, along with many of you, have had our hearts encouraged through her kind words and baked goods. Okay? She will stand in the gap for you. Uh, her uh, genuine concern for people really knows no borders. Uh, whether you come from a different city or a different state or a different country, Ruth cares about you. And there's Neelan Coleman. He's a courageous prayer warrior and a healing bomb. 
He doesn't hesitate to call on the our miraculous, wonder-working God in your behalf. I mean, there's no good thing that he won't ask God to do for you. With a joyful and gentle spirit, he calls on God to release protection and provision such that the gates of hell cannot prevail. Now, when you hear those things said about our shepherds, what does that do for you? Maybe it could cause you to go, man, they really know what they're doing. Now, they've been tending to the hearts and minds of our congregation in the ways that haven't been done in years. Maybe I should listen to them closely, partner with them in prayer about the future of TCBC. Maybe. Now, I didn't tell those people that I was going to do this, okay? They're just as surprised as you are. And I may be in trouble for doing it, but really all I did is just what the Apostle Paul did. Celebrate the work that God has been doing through others, especially those the Lord puts on our teams. Now, again, I realize there are so many other people who have not been called out for faithful and effective ministry. We are excited and blessed by your ministry, too. My goal is not to slide anybody. It's just to do what the Apostle Paul did, to call attention to kingdom ministry going on around him. He just had a few less names to do than we do. So let me ask you, as we sit here humbly before the Lord, what would you like written behind your name in a letter? As a testimony to God being at work in and through you. What if in your profession as a, a uh, what if in your profession or as a student or your role as a neighbor or a wife or a husband or a mom or a dad? What if a letter was written with something like verse 8 here? I have sent him or her to you for this very purpose. What is the good purpose that you want God to fulfill through you? What are some closing words referencing you like in verse 13 says, For I bear witness that he or she has worked hard for you. What is that good hard work that you want God to expand in and through you. What is that? By way of application, after I close the message, uh, the worship team's going to just play quietly, and I want you to prayerfully reflect on your life. In addition to being grateful, ask yourself this question as you're reflecting. Uh, where is God doing more work in your life? And how can you live that out? And so we remember, write it down. Write it down on that connection card, yellow connection card, or that bulletin. Um, write down that good purpose that God, that you want God to fulfill, or a good work that you want God to expand or bless in you. Or you can promise the Lord, yourselves, uh, each other this. Start this week. Keep this promise in the forefront of your mind. Make or keep prayer. Deep personal connection with your Heavenly Father. Make or keep prayer as a way of life. And as we pray, we know people that we can pray for, as Paul did. We can pray for people like Paul's situation where he says, and remember my chains. Let's remember to pray for them too. Let's pray.
Father, as we are concluding these thoughts, we just think about what the Apostle Paul has been doing. And, and he's given us eternally valuable instruction. Instruction that uh, changes our life. Instruction that uh, manifests the gospel in our life. And it's not just about doing the good work that you've given us to do. It is about us enjoying the fellowship and the relationship with you. So, Father, may we take the Apostle Paul's instruction here to be praying, to spend time before you just undistracted. And, Father, may we not do this always by ourselves. Help us to not pray only when we're alone. Help us to look to brothers and sisters in Christ uh, to accomplish kingdom work through prayer. Father, as uh, husbands and wives, uh, moms and dads, families, uh, they can be praying together. Father, you know in my life, some of the most life-changing things have happened when I, when I prayed with my wife, Kim. Father, I pray that uh, that that direction that you give us in your word uh, to spend time with you, that we do it not only when we're alone, not only when we're in our closet, but also with brothers and sisters in Christ. And Father, also we ask that in these next few days that for those that you have brought into our life experience, those that serve alongside of us, may we be grateful May we thank you for them. May we thank them also. May we encourage them. May we uh, follow them in ways that are just so consistent with what your word and people in uh, leadership would desire. Help us to do that. And we ask all that in Christ's name. Amen.